Hello and welcome everyone to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to offer great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward of Award Consulting, and I'm joined today by Stephen Denny, who is also from Award Consulting. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to have you here today. And this podcast is going to be maybe a little different to some of the others we've done, perhaps a little bit more self-indulgent. So if you're not interested in that, that's okay. You can hit skip. But what I'd like to do is go through the story a little bit of award consulting and how we got here and how Stephen came to be a part of that journey. To kick things off, I probably need to share some of my journey, which kind of led to the creation of the, of the company. For me personally, I'd been working at Metaswitch straight out of school and was moved to the US in 2005 um, to work in customer support organization and spent six years in support and enjoyed doing that kind of work before in 2012, moving into operations and running the team that was doing the shipping, the fulfillment of orders, basically running a warehouse and doing spares, replacements, that kind of thing. But I'd always wanted to to start my own business at some point. And at Metaswitch, I was making progress and learning new things, but there eventually came a point where I was, when I realized I had to take the plunge and actually do what I said I wanted to do, even though the path forward wasn't clear. It was somewhat risky. So in 2015, I finally decided that summer to take the plunge, um, encouraged by my wife who supported me and said, yes, it's okay, you can do this even though you have no plan whatsoever. No plan to do consulting, no plan to do anything with telecoms, just I wanted to start a business and that's as concrete as my plan was. But nevertheless, I quit and that was fall of 2015 and we kind of flailed around a little bit, experimenting with different things. I spent a few months really passionate about 3D printing and about making 3D printed maps of beautiful places. I still have some maps of Yosemite and Tahoe that I made that are are beautiful art pieces, but don't really have any commercial value. And from there, I was still trying to figure things out, but consulting kind of came along by accident. It was very much a need that existed in the industry, and I happened to be not doing anything more important. And so there were a couple of telcos who were using Metaswitch products who needed more help than Metaswitch was kind of really set up to give them. And I was introduced to them by, I think in both cases, or in one of those cases by the Metaswitch account team. They knew I was available. Um, and in one case through a, um, through Dave Capice, who actually we were interviewing in the very first episode of this podcast. And so I kind of fell into doing a little bit of consulting on the side, which was still not my plan. It was like, this is good because I'm earning some money, but actually I really want to do this 3D maps thing. That would be the most exciting thing to do. But unfortunately, in life, you also have to earn money. And there was a point when I suddenly realized that it was much easier to earn money doing consulting than it was by making these 3D maps. And I was also spending a lot of time thinking about what do I actually want? So what is it that I would like my new business, whatever it is, to look like? And at some point in the fall of 2016, I suddenly realized, actually, consulting checks the boxes. It gives me some freedom, is fun. It's fun to help people and to work with them to solve their problems. I've got a decent amount of flexibility. It's got the potential to earn decent money. And so even though telecoms was not my plan all along, at some point I just said, actually, I can invest in this business. Let's focus on this. Let's build this consulting thing and let's grow this, right? Let's make this the business, the thing that I focus on. At the time, I had a grand total of two clients and that's not really a business so much as a couple of part-time jobs, but it was a start and 
So that was the genesis. And then I started focusing aggressively and I marketed and I did all this sales stuff and I grew the business rapidly through the next year. So that by the time you get to the second half of 2017, in December, I had six clients. So two to six, that's rapid growth, huge successful business. And that's the beginnings of the story. That's all just me. That's me basically being a freelancer. And it was fun. But around that time, we had some changes happen um, in the industry, which forced me to evaluate what exactly I wanted to do next. Um, but before we get into that, maybe Stephen, could you tell me a little bit about what you were doing around the same time, 2016, 2017? Yeah, in your career. So I was uh, working for Metaswitch at the time. I spent, I think it was a bit over 11 years there in the support organization. And I was a support engineer. I managed a U.S. support team. I managed a Latin American support team. And somewhere along the line there, I was doing some commissioning. So that's about the time we started talking. And you and I, we'd worked together in the Medicine Support Organization for several years in kind of the late 2000s, early 2010s, but we never actually worked closely together, if I remember right. Is that true? Right. We were just on different teams for a while. There were support teams. And of course, you went to ops. And, and so that's a different world just by itself. But you were a well-known entity, Andrew. Everyone knew you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Maybe I'll, I'll ask you more about that in a minute. So... Yes, you were doing Metaswitch support. And then in the fall of that year, Metaswitch kind of made a strategic decision about how they wanted to structure their support organization. And they decided to reduce the size of the US support base and uh, start a new support office in Belfast, which is now a much more significant office. And they've got lots of staff there who provide most of their care, I believe. But one consequence of that was that they laid off, I don't know exactly how many people, but a number of people, a number of support engineers, including yourself, Stephen, and quite a few others. I'm guessing that was a little bit of a change in your life plan at that moment. Well, it was. So it wasn't a huge surprise in that, I mean, the Belfast operation had been ramping up for some time, and you'd have to be blind not to realize that's where the direction was going. But I'll admit on that day, I was not expecting to be laid off. And I joined this conference call, and I was logged into two customer switches working at the time. And after about 15 seconds, it was pretty obvious what was going on. And I logged out of those switches pretty fast and said, my day just got better. <laughs> but that was not how I intended to start the day. Your day got easier. You probably had less work to do thereafter. That's, that's right. Yeah. And actually, from my perspective as a freelance consultant, and at the time, pretty much the only freelance Metaswitch expert out there who didn't work for Metaswitch, I had very mixed views of this when I heard that it was happening because one way of looking at this was, wait a second, right now I'm the only person out there who doesn't work for Metaswitch, who has all this Metaswitch expertise. Now, suddenly there's a ton of us. There's all these people who just got laid off. Are they all going to try and do exactly the same job as me? In which case, am I screwed? Like, my, did my business just vanish overnight because there's going to be all this like competition from all these other you know Metaswitch uh, support engineers? So that was quite a challenging moment for me. I realized that I couldn't just kind of passively continue what I was doing and continue on. Something was going to have to change. But the the kind of opportunity there is also wait, hang on. There's suddenly all of these people who I know and have worked with and are skilled engineers who are now available. Is there an opportunity here to grow the team? And obviously, in the end, I decided that the second course was the right course, although there were a lot more people than just you. But 
my logic at the time was I, I didn't really know what all those people were going to do. In the end, they all ended up getting jobs at telcos pretty much. So they were able to find homes where they were part of a decent sized company where they could use their expertise and you know continue with their careers, which is great. But from my point of view, I figured if there are going to be a lot of people how can I make sure that award consulting is differentiated from all of these other people who are now freelancing? And I figured if I can have a team, then that makes us kind of stand out as more professional than the others. So I was like, okay, I, I need to at least hire one person. But at the same time, the income I was earning, I'd kind of got the business to the point where I was earning about as much each month as I had been when I worked at Metaswitch, but it wasn't like a ton of excess. And so hiring somebody new like Stephen was obviously going to cut my income substantially. <laughs> so it was not an easy decision. And yeah, although in, in hindsight, it was obviously worked out very well, but that's kind of what was in my head. It, I felt like I had to take a risk and have somebody work with me. And Stephen, you were a very great choice for that. But I wasn't really ready in the business to do that had events not uh, conspired to, to force my hand. How did you feel about it when we started talking and you were, I guess, you know, figuring out what you were going to do next with your life? How did you see the potential of joining me in a two-person random little consulting company? Well, that actually didn't bother me, Andrew, the size at all. You know, I've actually started a few businesses myself and sold them off over the years. And small businesses can be fun. It's just that you need to be prepared to wear a lot of hats, usually. You don't have 50 people to divide up things. You need to be able to do all of it. And uh, that works out well for me. I, I like, you know, I'm a technical person. I always have been. And I like solving problems. And I like seeing customers' networks working and solving problems for them. Everyone can use some help at times. So it also fit perfectly with what I had been doing. It was the same work with the same customers, the same equipment. It was a chance actually to do more things in some cases. And it seemed to me like that was going to be a good fit. And you mentioned before that uh, I think you said I was well known, which scares me a little bit in the customer support organization. We hadn't worked together. What did you know of me? Did you like vet me? Did you go and talk to people who worked for me directly to make sure it was, this was going to be okay? Or did you just kind of trust that everything would work out okay? Well, uh, what some people may not realize is that Metaswitch was a pretty tight-knit organization. I, I mean, everyone in support knew each other and, you know, there were company outings. So even though we were geographically very spread across the world, you had talked with everyone and, and knew something about them. Everyone sort of had a reputation. So I, I didn't go back and do background checks on you, Andrew. I, I felt I was maybe a little bit beyond that point. I hadn't kept up with what you were doing at the time. I knew you were off on your own and freelancing a bit. But I mean, when, when you explained where you were at with things, it sort of made sense to me. Yep. And bringing Stephen on board was actually, I think, a very good thing long-term for the business because it really, that gave me the freedom to say, okay, as far as is possible, I would like Stephen to do the customer work, the client work. Because obviously at that time, there was at most one person's client work to do because I'd been doing it all. And then I have that responsibility to grow the business. So I still did client work, certainly, but we said, okay, Stephen will do as much as we can feed to him. And then Andrew will spend his extra time doing marketing and sales and trying to grow the business. The problem with marketing and sales is particularly if you're an introvert, as I view myself as like a high functioning introvert. So I can talk, but I, I don't really 
love meeting new people and stuff. It's a, it's a hard skill for me. But as somebody who's not going to make a thousand cold calls just to random people and try to get business, those efforts that I made to do sales and marketing had a slow burn effect. They eventually worked, but it, it took a while. So in 2018, is that right? Yeah, 2018, which was the first year you were with me full-time, Stephen. That was actually a bit of a an up-and-down year for us uh, financially. I was just looking back at the numbers in preparation for this. Like Q2 was fantastic. We had a, one client that needed a lot of help and you know, we our revenue was going up. And I was like, hey, I'm so good at this. This is fantastic. I'm doing that sales and marketing thing we said and we've grown and this is, this is great. But then the latter part of the year, Q4 of that year was actually worse in terms of revenue than Q4 of the previous year, except that now we had two of us to support. So I think it's fair to say it wasn't, it was working, we were getting by, but it wasn't an unparalleled success right away. Were you aware of any of that? So I can't remember to what extent I was like sharing the detail, certainly not all the details of the financials, but did you have a feel that, you know, some quarters were a little bit lighter than others? Yeah, well, you were sharing some things with me and I could sort of see the trend. And I mean, business just has its ups and downs and particularly, you know, no new projects started November, late November and December. So if you don't have something going on then, then nothing new is going to happen then. I wasn't particularly worried about it. I let you worry about it instead of me and I just (laughs) keep working. Well, good. I I certainly did worry about it. I, I remember doing that. And I think, thankfully... Well, the next year, 2019, I'm just going to keep going kind of through the chronology here to kind of help people see how we got to where we are today. The following year, 2019, we actually grew a tiny bit, but actually what changed more in that year was that our revenue became more consistent. We had a greater diversity of clients. We had things a bit more evenly spread across the year. And so by the end of 2019, we were at a point where I think the last quarter of that year was was really good. That was kind of definitely an upward trend. But overall, I was looking at that year thinking, okay, we the business is more solid. It's I think there's a phrase, uh, anti-fragile. So the business is harder to kill because we've got a greater number of clients, maybe not so many big clients with you know significant revenues, but you can't kill us by losing one client as, as things stand at this point because we've got more clients, there's a greater diversity of revenue. And it's beginning to become a bit just more solid, more routine, things are happening more naturally, it's less less random. But at the same time, we were just maybe starting to see that growth in that, in that fourth quarter. But again, I was still looking at this thinking, okay, well, we're managing to support the two of us, but is this really going somewhere or is it just a business for me and Stephen? And then 2020 happened. And you might think that 2020 was kind of a bad year. I mean, in many ways, it was a bad year. There were lots of very bad things that happened. But from a business point of view, it actually didn't turn out that way. I was looking back at my notes in March of that year, before, at the beginning of March of that year, Darren joined the team uh, on a part-time basis, Darren Thomas, and in response to the growth that we'd seen. So we'd seen growth in Q4 of the previous year and Q1 of that year, we were starting to see growth. And so I felt confident enough to add Darren to the team as an ongoing part-time member. And then of course, the pandemic struck, which and I'm not sure. Obviously, we weren't in the restaurant business. It wasn't immediately, obviously, catastrophic to us. But equally, there was a lot of uncertainty there. Stephen, what did, from your perspective, did you have worries that the pandemic was going to impact telecoms? Or what did you think would happen to telecoms as a result? Well, no one was sure of what was going to happen, of course. And I wouldn't have predicted growth in, under those conditions. Companies probably being conservative with their money, but they still have to maintain their networks. You still have to upgrade software, for example. And I mean, things still break at the same rate, no matter what the economy itself looks like. So 
I expected, frankly, for the work to continue, probably pretty steady, maybe a few clients come and go, but nothing major really. Yep. And I think you proved to be right. We had one client project that was kind of verbally planned in March of that year, that not a huge project, but which got basically they did it in-house instead of hiring us to do it because they were worried about the pandemic and the impact on their business. But apart from that, I don't think anything else got stopped. I don't think it's the case that we grew because of the pandemic. I think we were already on a growth curve, but the pandemic didn't stop it, which is, I think, one of the great privileges of telecoms, right? It's pretty recession-proof business. People still need service and the pandemic, if anything, made uh, service providers more critical to the nation than they were before. So, so you, you may remember there was a flurry of hosted PBX activity there as people started working from home. How do you get their lines to them and keep them on on the hunt groups and engaged with the corporate network and, and all of that? So it was pretty busy, actually. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a flurry of webinars and stuff that people were doing. I think I did one with Metaswitch and with Polly um, at the time about, yeah, okay, you suddenly need to do hosted PBX today. Everyone's switching to remote work. What do you do? And there was a lot of people thinking about that. And even just with traditional PBXs, like just making sure people forward their phones, right? It was stuff like that that people were panicking around um, at the time. So, yeah, 2020, so March was kind of iffy. We were uncertain what was going to happen, but we had some revenue kind of already, some work already planned. And things continued well to the point where in August of that year, we hired Nathan full-time, and Nathan Littlepage. And then suddenly in the space of six months, we'd gone from a team of two to a team of four during a pandemic, which is kind of crazy. And and then even beyond that, in February this year, we added um, Rita Ranke as a uh, contractor to do part-time work post her retirement from full-time employment. And so now we're suddenly at a team of five where three of those were added in the last in the last 18 months, which is all remarkable. I don't know that I claim any particular credit for this. I don't know if it's just how long it takes for businesses to start to get some momentum. But from that list of six clients that we had at the end of 2017, I think we're in July this year, I just counted, we worked with 32 different uh, telcos. So there's, I think the main lesson I'm taking from this is just that marketing is kind of a slow burn thing. If you continue at it consistently, eventually you'll grow your reputation and people will get to know about you, but it can take a while. It's not something you can just turn on and you know next week you've got a bunch more business. So Stephen, we're kind of, you're two and a half years into this journey uh, working with me. What did you expect when you first started? Did and how has reality compared? Is this like exactly what you thought it would be? Um, has anything changed? Were you thinking this would be a good way to spend a few months while you figured out something better? How has reality compared to your expectations? Well, I, I, that's interesting. I never actually expected this to be temporary. did seem like it should be. You know, you know the, it's a good product. MetaSwitch has a good product and it's widely deployed in the U.S., and just because I wasn't at MetaSwitch and MetaSwitch changed their strategy did not mean that people didn't need help. And as MetaSwitch changed, by the way, I think we still have a good relationship with MetaSwitch across the board. Still have a lot of friends working there. Their Microsoft, their acquisition thing didn't really change our working relationship. So it's nice to actually see and, and work with people that I have for a decade there. But I didn't see this as temporary, Andrew, and it it hasn't proven to be. It's fun to see the, the organization grow. It was fun with two people. It's more fun with five. And, you know, we still all fit on one Zoom screen. But, 
you've made some good choices in people that you've hired, starting with me, I hope, and <laughs> continuing on. But, you know, we have a pretty good time and, and it's, you know, everyone jumps in to help. And there's a lot of expertise here, industry expertise, as well as MetaSwitch expertise. And so we're able to really help people solve their problems. And, and I just enjoy solving problems, no matter what they are. Yeah, you bring up a couple of good points. Firstly, I when I left MetaSwitch, that I'd worked there for 14 years. It was the only job I'd had. You know, it was my first job after out of college. And so part of what I was very sad about in leaving was leaving all my friends, right? my coworkers that I had known for so many years, which you just kind of assume that you'll always see people regularly because you're working there for a long time. But yeah, you, like you said, one of the delights of this has been that actually I still get to see people, right? We go to conferences and we see the same people. MetaSwitch held various kind of forums and events and so on that we attended. So we were still able to kind of reconnect with a lot of the same people that we worked with for a long time. And those relationships, you know, persist and um, are still fun to be part of and to, to have a good, as you say, a good relationship with MetaSwitch, the company and or Microsoft, I guess now, as well as all the individual people who are make up that business. It's fun, Andrew, for me to be on a call where Meta has a project manager and I'm doing the project manager role on the customer side. I mean, these are people that I've worked with, you know, for a long time now. And we pretty much know how it's supposed to go. And we know when it's not going well and can make corrections. So there's not sort of an antagonistic relationship or anything at all. Since you know the people personally, as well as just from working with them, things can go really well on projects. And I, I think that's something we bring to the table often that people may not understand. Yeah, when we are working on behalf of a customer, like on a project that Metaswitch is implementing, executing, yeah, I agree. We can be that bridge where we're hopefully known and trusted by both sides and can you know help our clients navigate what's the best way to work with Metaswitch, but also help explain or help people understand better what is happening and why, just, just to make sure that things go smoothly in that way. And the personal relationships thing you mentioned at Metaswitch, because they had culture where people tended to stay a long time, I always felt like it, there was a strong desire for there not to be any politics. Right? That was a big mantra of John Lazar. A big part of what contributed to that was that people had known each other for a long time. So you might have like directors or VPs in different departments who maybe there was some kind of some issue which caused a, you know, a conflict or an uncertainty about how to deal with it between the departments. But if these people had known each other 15 years and maybe used to be like housemates when they were interns at Metaswitch, which was not unusual, then those conversations were much easier because you had that basis of relationship, of trust, of knowing that the other person was fundamentally a good person trying to do a good job. And therefore, you were able to solve problems kind of on the merits rather than just blaming the other person. Yeah, the last thing I just wanted to touch on is... You mentioned that the folks on the team are not only you know, Metaswitch experts, but also industry experts. And I think that's important because particularly the Microsoft acquisition raises questions for us about what the future looks like. And I'm, I guess, the middle-ish of my career, and I would love for this business to exist to the end of my career. And it would be probably foolish of me to assume that the industry and the use of Metaswitch in that industry is going to stay exactly the same for the next 20 plus years through the end of my career. And so part of what 
you know, I need to figure out as the, the owner of the company is how can we continue to have a viable business even as the industry changes, you know, whatever changes those might be. The Microsoft acquisition so far hasn't led to much changes, but Azure for Operators is obviously coming and who knows what else is down the road. But certainly the industry 20 years ago looked very different to what it looks today. So we spent a bit of time kind of thinking about what our long-term vision and strategy is and the plan for very slowly us to kind of expand, you know, beyond um, Metaswitch. What I love about this role, this job is, or this industry, is that we are solving technical problems for the kind of smaller ILX and CLX for the rural service providers. Um, it's a very relationship-based industry. You know, it's working with smaller, smaller businesses, not huge corporations mostly. And providing that service where somebody has a problem, you're able to help them, you help them, they appreciate the fact that you help them. And that is, there's that quick positive feedback loop is very rewarding for us. And I think all of that can happen without it being only about kind of the Metaswitch technology. So my hope is that in time, we'll be able to expand the range of technical expertise that we can bring to people, and which we're already doing to an extent. But eventually the goal, I think, would be for us to provide technical expertise, technical services to these same clients, to the Alex and Celex, but it could be anything technical. It could be INDP networks. It could be other vendors' products. It could be technical architecture. There's a whole range of stuff that we can do. And you know, long-term, I don't think ISPs are going anywhere. Voice might eventually just become an application that's in the cloud. But as long as we can keep serving these same clients and providing great service to them, then I hope that that vision extends well into the future, you know, regardless of what happens in terms of acquisitions or different changes in the industry. Does that make sense to you? I mean, you've, you've been in the industry longer than me. I guess you've presumably seen some vendors kind of rise and fall and some changes in terms of like systems, architectures and technology and stuff during your time. Well, that makes me sound pretty old because I am. But uh, <laughs> Older than I've me. That's all, I said. That's all I said. I didn't say old. <laughs> I, I lived through Frame Relay. I lived through ATM. In fact, I co-founded a CLEC in Texas and we wanted to buy the MetaSwitch product, but it was only doing ATM at the time. So we ended up with a different switch, which was later replaced by a Meta. So yeah, the, the industry changes, but you know our relationships that we have with customers probably don't change. And the expertise that we can bring to their networks is like you say, beyond just the MetaSwitch. And you see that, I mean, I get calls from people and, and have even when I was at Meta and said, you know, this probably isn't a MetaSwitch problem, but you're the only person I know to call that can probably sit, fix it. Can you tell me what's going on? And that's that's often true. So I think we're probably on the path to to adapt to whatever we need to. Yep. Yeah, it, it took me a while to realize that if I hired people who knew things that I didn't know, for example, Nathan's IP networking expertise is far beyond mine. Then one consequence of that was that I could then sell skills that I didn't personally have. And I think for a long time, you know, as a technical person now in more of a sales business owning role, a more general role, it made me nervous to ever sell something that I couldn't personally do if I had to. But in time, I realized that the team is actually much bigger than just me. It's not, it's not about me. It's about the team. And the team can do many things. And the team can do things that none of us can do if we hire somebody who has that expertise or train somebody in things. So the scope of what we can do is vast. Um, what's more, you know, what makes the business is not just the technical skills we have today. It's all about the relationships and the, the culture that we create. And you know, ultimately, it's about hopefully we can create a place where people enjoy their work and want to work so that we can then build a team that enjoys working together and is happy to be here. So 
Anyway, well, I think we've kind of caught up to the present day and indeed um, gone into the future a little bit. For those still listening, I want to thank you for allowing us this self-indulgent episode. I've talked more than I normally do. Normally my job is just to ask questions and then uh, keep quiet. So hopefully you aren't uh, too horrified by hearing my voice this much. So thank you for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, or I guess even if you didn't and you want to go back to the normal stuff, then please be sure to join us again next time for the next episode of VoIP for Independent Telecom. And if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, be sure to subscribe and we'll be back soon. Thank you very much.